Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hello, hello. Welcome to week two of the men's series. This is episode 156. And in this week's episode, we have a men's panel. And I am... I was just really, really grateful to have both Mike Pack and James Hart say yes to being part of the series and saying yes to the men's panel. Um, both Mike and James are former coworkers or colleagues of mine, and they are both software engineers and super smart, super amazing people in general. And uh, it was just such a privilege to know them and that they said yes. And if you want to connect with them, uh, they both shared their LinkedIn profile. And FYI, some of the audio cut in and out a little bit uh, for Mike's responses, but hopefully you can catch the, the gist of what he was saying. And if this conversation served you in any way, please share it with someone you know who can benefit. Um, or you can also share it on the socials. Feel free to tag me at michellewong.xo. It would thrill me nothing more than knowing that uh, this series or this episode has impacted you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Without further ado, here is the episode and enjoy. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of the Sacred Emergence podcast. This is Michelle Wong, and I am really just so from the bottom of my heart thrilled and excited for this conversation. Um, a few, maybe a few months ago, I had this idea of bringing on some men to the podcast and having a conversation around the topic of masculinity. And I had this idea of doing a men's panel. And so, so today, I'm very excited to introduce you to two amazing men. Um, a third person was going to join us, but he's a little under the weather. Um, but I, I think you'll all be very pleased uh, with our guest today. Um, and I know everybody on today's show because I've previously worked with them. And um, I reached out to them to see if they wanted to be on the podcast because, well, first, like my interaction with both of them, just through even a corporate environment, I could actually feel... Like I don't, I didn't feel the shield. Like when I interact with people, sometimes like I could feel their their heart. Um, there was no guarding, and it was just like, oh, like they're not afraid to show emotion, and they're actually emotionally intelligent. Um, and I'm not saying that it's rare. I'm just saying like it was refreshing. Uh, so welcome to the Sacred Images podcast, uh, James and Mike. I am so honored that you both said yes. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Um, like Michelle was saying, my name is James. Um, I live in Seattle, Washington right now. Um, I've been working for startups for about 
15 years now. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Of course. Thank you. Hi, my name is Mike. I am based in Colorado and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you, Michelle. Of course. I am so thrilled. Um, so yeah, I basically reached out to James and Mike and was like, Hey, like I had this idea and it's going to be around masculinity. And I also wrote like, quote unquote, toxic masculinity. And I'm like, I hate that word. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I don't like, it's very, um, I don't know. It just puts people in more boxes. And I always feel like if we're going to talk about toxic masculinity, then there's going to be toxic femininity. Like there's like, anyways, and I don't even know what that means. Um, but I was interested in the conversation around masculinity because um, just from my perspective, like I'm, I guess I'm a feminist. Like I'm very much like, let's move women forward. And, you know, like I see women like, you know, doing women's marches and, you know, people are all involved in that. Um, and my sense is that unless we have allies backing up women, it's like we have to all be in it together. Um, and then I also realized that, you know, just because we live in a society where, yeah, the majority is the patriarchy and the majority is like, OK, like it's maybe it's easier. I don't know if that's true for men to get ahead. Um, we still need men support. And I think it's like, there's this lens that men have it so easy. And I think that the conversation gets left out, uh, for men and particularly like I want, I was seeking for straight cisgendered men to be on the conversation, um, and really wondering like, how do you, uh, identify with the word masculinity and your relationship to it? That's a good question. I, I grew up in a household with two older sisters. And so it felt like from the get-go, masculinity was not necessarily like a, a better thing or having the, you know, the trait of having a male agenda. Um, but it certainly in life has offered me as a, as a white male cisgendered uh, person, there have been privileges given to me throughout life that other folks have not had. And I've been able to ride that, um, you know, early on in my life without having known, knowing that, um, and then being introduced to it later, later on and, and now appreciating it has been, um, quite a roller coaster, but masculinity to me has just been, I don't necessarily identify as somebody who's masculine or not masculine, but I do, um, acknowledge my privilege now, um, for sure. And I, I think that being a male is something that has offered me a lot of privileges. And I've, I've worked with folks previously who've identified as female and I've seen them been, sh been shut down, um, and not given opportunities in, in, a, in a masculine environment. And certainly within the context of engineering, um, software engineering in particular, there are, you know, 90% male within that. And that's not a statistic that's exact, but it's just anecdotally what I've experienced. So um, it's harder uh, for females to, to break out in the workplace and take senior positions, certainly. Um, it's something to be celebrated when they do. Um, where we work currently and where we work cr currently, we've, I've always ad advocated for um, 
my female counterparts to take uh, leads to 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 try to get those senior positions that've been that they've been going for and I've been really happy when they have so I, I I don't it's a little challenging for me to talk about masculinity just because I feel like I can identify it but I also try to avoid it and I think I've been lucky enough with the workplaces that I've worked with previously that I've been able to avoid them um, and maybe that's me just hiding behind a wall but <laughs> I do think that I've been pretty lucky avoiding folks um, with masculinity issues or ego issues of which I think are pretty, pretty closely intertwined. Mm. Yeah, I would say uh, it's interesting to hear some of your backstory, James, um, just given that uh, maybe you grew up in a slightly different setting, but have a somewhat similar outcome in terms of my perspective on things. And, you know, I, I grew up in a household uh, in Philadelphia, which is notorious for, uh, I think, some of the hyper-masculine behaviors that are East Coast uh, in general, maybe, but Philadelphia in particular, I think is, you know, you look at like sports games and how, uh, people in Philadelphia act around sports, win or lose, people are rioting. Is, you know, are riots potentially uh, a manifestation of some kind of masculinity? I don't know, I'm, I'm not actually sure uh, why <laughs> folks in, in Philadelphia tend to do that, but I grew up, you know, with uh, a younger brother and an older sister and, and a dad who's a very large man. He's around six, five and like 240 pounds. And he was an all state football player and growing up for me, you know, uh, being pushed heavily into sports and, and football and, and all sports, baseball, basketball, it was huge for my dad and my family. And I remember not really wanting to play football, for example, because, which is again, I think maybe a quintessential, masculine sport to some extent and I didn't really want to play football um I was more into computers honestly and so when I was a freshman in, in high school I finally decided to play football to appease my dad you know and, and um it, it wasn't for me ultimately and and my the kind of environment in Philadelphia wasn't for me either um and that there's you know just a, a tremendous amount of competition and things like bar fights and just like a culture that i didn't really connect with and so i think my sometime in my early 20s really was a transformational time to redefine kind of who I was and who I wanted to be and break free of this maybe masculine uh, kind of default that I was born into. It felt like to a certain extent that I didn't necessarily identify with. And I think I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that means to divorce myself from that culture. Um, because I, I don't know that I necessarily define like masculinity in and of itself maybe is a binary term right to your point 
uh, earlier on, Michelle, around, well, if we're going to talk about masculinity, we have to talk about femininity. And does that also mean we need to talk about the entire spectrum, you know, in between when it comes to genders? And so, uh, you know, how I think about masculinity now is I am a man in a man's body. I do have many of my father's genes and then the large physical presence myself too, but that doesn't have to dictate my behaviors. And so masculinity, I think for me is about your physical traits being married with your emotional traits to a certain extent and how you carry yourself as a biological man. You don't have to live, materialize these maybe classical manly traits or something. And masculinity could be connecting more with other areas of that spectrum and accepting that and leaning into that and knowing that there's more about you than just your physical, biological uh, presence. I, yeah, I like what you mentioned, Mike, about it feels like sports to me are like a huge potential. Like there's, there's, there's a, a binding between how a male competes in sports, the competitive nature of sports and masculinity. Like that feels like there's a really solid connection there. And it's also interesting that you brought up football because um, that was not something I was ever pushed into. In fact, my mom was like, you are not playing football. <laughs> She's like, I see all the injuries on the field and you will not be doing that. And I, I played sports. It was like every every season there was a sport. It was um, soccer, it was basketball, it was baseball, and then it was tennis during the summers. Um, all of which lean, maybe if you're talking masculinity and mapping like sports to masculinity levels, soccer, tennis are maybe towards the bottom from a United States perspective, whereas something like um, football is towards the top. Um, this is all skirting around the issue of what football definite by definition actually is, but <laughs> American football and American soccer, um, within the context of this podcast for now. But yeah, like I, I think that's a huge component, the competitiveness, the ego, the aggressive tendencies, you know, tying into bar fights and stuff. That's not something that my Seattle upbringing or my sisters or my mom or my dad, who was also very very much there, like con contributed to me and my upbringing. So it feels like Mike, you might've been fighting something that was there present, like around you and your environment, like it's an environmental thing, right? And you chose not to um, go down that path of masculinity, but it it is also for me, it felt like this is just, this was my environment and it was never, I was never forced down my throat. Um, I didn't even watch football until I was like had graduated from college and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't surrounded by, you know, um, aggressive masculinity or anything like that. So um, we've, I, I think it's interesting to dive into sports because I was thinking predominantly about the workplace, but there's probably some tie-ins there between the two of them. So Michelle, if you'd like to focus on one or the other, um, let us know. No, I like, I'm actually like, it's interesting how, Mike, I didn't know you grew up on the East Coast. I always thought you were Colorado. <laughs> um, and 
So I do find it interesting because I think like on a more like gen, like a generalized level, like West Coast folks tend to be more laid back and easygoing and, you know, East Coast is hardcore. Um, like that's the general vibe. Um, but what was interesting, Mike, just hearing what you were sharing is like there was more of a push to be like, I guess, that typical, um, I don't know, the typical box of what men are supposed to be or whatever. Um, I'm curious, like, and this goes for both, um, both you guys around, like, have you ever, like the, the pushback finding a safe space, I guess, because Mike, what you were saying is like, well, you didn't really want to play football. Um, and you did it to appease your dad, but it's like, I think it takes guts actually to kind of go against the norm. Um, and maybe for you, you just did it. <laughs> like, I'm curious, is that, do you get a lot of flack for just following your own path? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Even, even to this day, I mean, I have long hair, for example, and I go home and one of the first things my dad will say to me is cut your hair, you know, is long hair, a masculine trait. I don't know. Like, uh, but yeah, I, I think getting flack for that when I, um, you know, chose to transfer. I started school, college in Philadelphia and, and transferred to school in Colorado. And um, he's like, what do you, why are you going to Colorado? All people do is ski and smoke weed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like, now that I'm here, I'm like, well, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I think that there is definitely a, a very strong but empowering element of sort of a maybe what might be considered like iconoclasm or some kind of um working against the grain uh to be the person you want to be without being the person that everyone else in the world expects you to be. And just like women have lots of body expectations or behavioral expectations, um, you know, classical like gender norms, you know, that applies, I think that same pressure does apply to men too. And so what does it mean to not be, you know, to, to fight against the masculine image, the classical masculine image. Uh, you know, I just took a trip recently to Italy and was looking at like the statue of David and it's the perfect man. Like what about it makes it the perfect man? Uh, because this is a statue. This is not a living being. And for me, I don't define a man as someone who is in a man's body and who looks like the statue of David, I define that more as someone who can be themselves. Uh, so I, again, I, I care less about the gender norm, less about the binary nature of our society and more about masculinity being living your fullest life the way you want it to be. And you just happen to kind of be a man. And this is not toxic masculinity, right? But that's kind of how I think about masculinity. I don't put as much weight 
on the masculine side, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it it does feel like that word. The more we say it, the more it's like, okay, this is this is being defined by the, the patriarchy, right? Like you're a, you're a stronger person, you're a better person, or you're more masculine if you've been going with the grain, if you have muscles, if you have lean fat, if you have short hair, um, if you look like the statue of David. And that's like, this is actually even the word masculinity and all the connotations associated with it seems toxic by itself like in and of itself, like knowing what we know now. So I think there's right. What Mike was saying, just continuing to just be a good, to, to do good deeds, right? Like to be a good person and to um, be who you want to be seems more of a positive thing than anything the word masculinity could ever attribute to me or anyone of my gender. Yeah, I um, I really appreciate what you both said around like um, just being human, <laughs> like not male, female, whatever gender, but like living our lives to the fullest and being our best selves, how we define it. I really love that. Um, and I also love the fact that like, you know, like there's expectations, like, you know, we are talking about like the expectations that society kind of puts on us of like the gender roles. Um, I was listening to, are you all familiar with Brene Brown? She talks about shame and vulnerability. Um, okay. So, um, so Brene Brown, she talks about shame and vulnerability. She has like I don't know how many millions of views on her TED talk. Uh, it's a good one. And um, I was listening to one of her audio series called Men, Women, and Worthiness or Women, Men, and Worthiness. I forget which order. <laughs> but um, she was she was sharing the story and I just found it really interesting because like there's, you know, we're talking about, you know, the topic of masculinity and all of that. Um, but Personally, I do feel like in a more like binary sense in our culture, which it's starting to shift. Um, but I, I do feel like women also contribute to the patriarchy, <laughs> like to be fair, like I know that women are, you know, a lot of times like we're, we want, you know, equity and all of that. Um, but I also feel like there are times when we do uphold the patriarchy. Um, and an example is like in Brene Brown's, when I was listening to her audio, she was saying how she was at a book signing and she wrote primarily for women and the, her research was women and around shame and vulnerability. And she said uh, at her book signing, like a, a family, you know, she was signing books for the, the wife, um, but the husband kind of stuck around and she was sensing like, oh, the husband wants to say something to me, but the, the, there was tension there. And then the wife was like, come on, honey, let's go. <laughs> and Brene was like, oh God, I hope he also leaves. But he stuck around and he said, hey, I noticed that you only have written about women. And she's like, oh yeah, my research is about women. And he was like, well, how about the men? And she's like, oh, that's easy. I research women. And he's like, well, that's convenient because, you know, like in my, in my family, you know, my, my wife and my daughter, they put me on this horse, like this white horse. And if I were to ever fall off of it and express any type of like, you know, vulnerability that doesn't match their expectations, they would be like, 
so shot and disappointed. And so it's almost like, you know, I think women put tend to, they can, um, it's like put all these expectations on men um, and not just men perpetuating it, but also women. And I'm just wondering how you relate to that or if it is relevant. I can definitely appreciate how that's happening all over the place in very subtle ways. Sometimes uh, there is bias just present in our society and maybe present in our genome or something mm-hmm. um, and that we have to, maybe we have to con- combat some of that. Maybe there's some of that we also need to accept too. Uh, you know, I, maybe the answer is not, maybe there is no right answer per se and that it should be more about exploring and better understanding those biases or those those tendencies like in your example you know when she's researching women maybe that's a bias that just needs to be uncovered and discovered uh you know we're applying you know our learning on a regular basis on an everyday basis to like continue to grow as individuals and as a species and Maybe that maybe we're just in a very nascent stage of our understanding of ourselves and of our species. And, and maybe we just need time to explore some of those things. We point out those biases and then we can call that out in bigger forums or to, to talk about that more regularly so that we can start to dispel the, the biases. We can start to incorporate them more intelligently into our conversations as opposed to having them be secretly and maybe unknowingly embedded in the ways that we think and the ways that we approach things like research. Research is biased all the time, you know, and and how we build a stronger collective understanding of those biases so that we can kind of elevate our consciousness, collective consciousness, um, so that we don't fall into the same traps over and over and the same biases over and over. Um, so I guess that's kind of, I, I definitely can see how there are is bias in many areas uh, for women, for men, for research, for governments, uh, for everything. So absolutely. Taking a break from my conversation with James and Mike, I wanted to share that our next virtual group breathwork is going to be happening on Sunday, November 19th at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And the theme for this upcoming breathwork is going to be around abundance. And it is available for everybody, so you don't have to be identified as a woman to attend. It's open for all gender types. And after we did breath work for grief in October and cleared space in our bodies, I thought, what a perfect way to fill in that space that we created with the energy of abundance. So links are in the show notes if you want to join and hope to see you there. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a really good point, point. Um, and I feel like that's also like kind of one of the tenets of therapy is just like 
talk about it and like let's talk like talk about how you're feeling right now because it's hard to know sometimes about what's being put on you by your family members or your friends and what I'm projecting right because I could be like oh my family feels like I need to feed them but in reality that's just me and who I've been brought up as and like I feel like I put that on my side myself I need to feed my family because it's like an innate thing embedded in my genetics but it's also just you know how about I talk about that with my son and my wife and see how they're feeling they're like oh no I'm not feeling that way at all that's just that's just you projecting right now so without digging too much farther into the personal details that's it's it's really good to be able to bring that stuff forward um and Mike was talking more in like an evolutionary sense which I think is like fascinating but um yeah like personally I'm going through stuff very similarly similarly in in therapy and it's like if you don't talk about it and you don't bring it forward then there's no way we can ever work towards understanding what's going on in our bodies and is this a male female thing or is this just a James thing who was put into this environment um so it's just you know plus one for therapy really and then furthermore for research which i like really like your point mike <laughs> yeah let's like i i think like everyone needs to go to therapy like find your favorite therapist <laughs> I just really feel like it just makes the world a more compassionate, kind place because we're just going to heal whatever is coming up in our own lives and take the stigma out of therapy, you know, which I feel like, well, maybe I'm biased, but like, I just feel like it's starting to become more mainstream. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it maybe touches on masculinity, right? Like, oh, you've got some mental health issues that you need to talk about with somebody else other than being able to manage it by yourself. Not as strong as you thought you were, huh? Um, so it's, it's ridiculous, right? Now, like that's legitimately what I thought, thought when I was a teenager because of what I was, you know, hearing from external sources. And now after having been through years of it myself and couples and parent coaching, it's just been like a tremendous like, I wish I had the three years or four years of training and learning and introspection that I had 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I'd be like, so I feel like I'd be so much more evolved and understand so much more as a human being, um, or at least of, of myself, because um, it's, it's amazing what comes out with a good therapist. And I'm also identifying my privilege right now by talking about how I've been able to do four years of therapy and it's how amazing it is, but being able to, even, even with my privilege, it was tremendously difficult to find a therapist. And that was troubling for me. Like it was, it was a really hard time in my life. And it was, it was, I called three people, I called three therapists on psychologytoday.com. And I, I reached out to them and they're like, okay, we, we're full, but here's three other people you can, you can reach out to. Each one of those people had three people. By the time I reached all the other folks that they referred me to, they started referring me back to the original first three. And it was like this infinite loop where there was no hope and I was in a terrible place and I needed help. And it was just like, I, I give up, right? There's no way. And then I got a phone call from a therapist who's like, hey, I've got COVID right now, but um, if you want to talk, I was like, I'll take it. I don't care. I'll take it. Whatever it is, I want it. Um, 
and, and we've been working with her ever since and she's been she's been really fantastic so um mm. but not everybody's so lucky not everyone can spend a hundred dollar copay on therapy for every two weeks for two years or, or whatever it's been but it's it's just um yeah yeah th therapy like you know plus plus one over here for therapy as well and it's what i think is interesting about your story james there is how you actively sought therapy and, and chose to be involved in therapy you you were maybe opening your heart and welcoming and creating that vulnerable that vulnerable space to not just express what was going on but also probably to hear how you needed to grow as a human and I think that's what's awesome for me about therapy is like it challenges me to think differently about my own behaviors and how I carry myself in the world and that is many times very very difficult when you know your therapist or whomever says to you uh you know here this may be why you act this particular way uh, have you thought about the connection between say some kind of childhood traumas and the way that you respond to these types of events in the world uh, and that's like opens just this can of worms that many times you just rather close and say you know what we're going to open that on another day that's like a part of my personality that i think is going to is very going to be very difficult to change uh or very painful to change and um yeah it's it's maybe that's partly why men in particular don't uh, their behavior can can turn toxic maybe because as we're told don't open the can of worms just shove it down boys don't cry be tough you know be the head of the household like all of these things right that we're told to be we're just shoving it down and we don't have that therapeutic healing experience to be able to experience really feel that pain and move through it and move beyond that so that we can open you know our hearts to bigger and better things as as a man and we can use our privilege and we can benefit others by having the space within ourselves to be able to grow and without therapy how are we moving through those things? Uh, and I, I just wonder if that's interrelated. Is that men just are closing that can of worms and it causes a lot of potentially toxic behaviors that are maybe very defensive um, or very aggressive or very like domineering or something because they're like afraid of the can of worms, so to speak. Yeah, it it does seem like the root of it is all fear-based, right? It, it does feel like many of the toxicity problems are, I'm going to close this door. I'm going to like shut this out and pretend like it doesn't exist and maybe raise my voice or maybe push somebody or maybe act physically violent um, because I don't want to, I don't even want to talk about it, right? Which is something that, um, 
maybe our parents told us growing up, you know, because I said so. Um, and it's like, I, it's the therapy option does open up a lot of conversations that are scary and enlightening, but also just, yeah, necessary for moving forward and understanding what, what it is that we're feeling and why we're, why we're reacting the way we are. And it's when that moment, when you're in couples therapy, where you hear the therapist start a sentence and you're like, Oh, I think they're going to tell my partner that they've been acting <laughs> in a way that's maybe you're like, yes, fist pump. But when, but, when, <laughs> but when it comes back the other direction and you're like, Oh shit. My therapist is going to tell me that I'm behaving a way that's probably subpar right now. Um, that's that's actually it's it's a good thing, right? It's it sucks at the moment, but it, you you do learn from it, and you're able to reflect back and and hopefully apply it to your behavior moving forward. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Mike. I this is secretly uh, everyone go all the pro reasons for therapy episode. Um, no, I, I, I just love, like, I get excited. Uh, and it's my own bias when I hear men going to therapy, you know, couples or, uh, couples or, you know, on personal or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I find it refreshing also because like, I think, on the topic of like personal development and like, you know, seeking support. Um, I've heard, you know, that a lot of times, and again, this is very binary and biased, like guys will see going, seeking help as a sign of failure. Um, and I don't know, well, maybe, maybe it's like, there's like this area in life where it's like, well, maybe, but I have to surrender, you know? And it's like, like, I can't do it alone anymore. I need help. And I think that's okay. I think it's important. Like you said, James, it's like, you wish you had support sooner. It would have been way more, you know, valuable, you know, if you had it sooner. Um, yeah. There's, um, do y'all watch Ted Lasso? <laughs> no, yes. Yeah, but no spoilers though, because I watched the first two, but not the most recent one. So okay, no spoilers. Okay, and then Mike hasn't seen it. Um, well, there's there's uh, in Ted Lasso world, um, you know, it's like uh, soccer slash, I guess, British football. <laughs> um, so they have this thing called diamond dogs where it's like, they describe it like it's men being vulnerable and open with each other. And it's like, it's the diamond dogs, right? So they can bring their problems to the diamond dogs group. Um, and I just, I love that um, because it's almost like a men's circle, but it's interesting. It's like very to the point and it's always short. It's always like, well, I have this problem. And then the guys give each other the advice and then like they all bark because it's over. Um, I find that hilarious and awesome. Um, and there's always one, there's one character who is like, he, he's not part of Diamond Dogs. He's always like, fuck it. You guys are doing Diamond Dogs. I'm leaving. But he's like listening, you know, because he's curious, <laughs> which I find hilarious. Um, and anyways. Um, I just, I think it's, 
it's interesting because as a woman, like I have a lot of like close circle of friends that I, and we can talk for hours debriefing a problem, you know, and uh, it's very, I think with men just seeing how they relate, I guess on the show, it's very like to the point direct and let's move on. Um, anyways, I think we lost Jay, uh, James. He just dropped off. Um, maybe there's internet connectivity, but anyways, um, so yeah, um, I'm curious, Mike, if there's anything that you, like I didn't bring up that you thought might be relevant or you wanted to share. Well, I definitely feel there, this is a very dense topic space and there's lots of things that we certainly uh, could dive into. There's one thing that I think is, so, you know, on the topic of kind of toxicity, I don't feel like we've talked too much about like, what it like, you said you don't love the word toxicity, but I think, you know, I, I understand what you're going for with that and, and have experienced that a lot and how it affects the workplace. Um, you know, how it affects social interactions, how it uh, affects kind of society's maybe oppression of, uh, let's just say, women. But I think there's more, it's more than just women who are oppressed in, in certain societies. So I think there's like a lot to unpack there with regards to how certain behaviors of men lead to these sort of this imbalance of social or corporate structures and incentives and um you know maybe one thing i'd love to to dive into is to better understand what really makes something toxic mm -hmm. how do we what makes something toxic and how do we avoid that or how do we improve that behavior you know i think that's like a challenging thing to pinpoint but an interesting topic to explore yeah i you know i i don't love the word toxic because what i find and like a friend of mine has also said it it's just like it's kind of a bait it's like it's such a clickbait you know, like toxic, da, 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 toxic, da, da, da. And that really, I feel, um, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of blame when I use that word. Um, and so I don't love using it, <laughs> but I think for me, like when I hear it, like how I think about it, describing like, you know, toxic masculinity, I, what I think is, um, like, I guess, like, it really puts a guy in a box where the only emotions he can express is anger. Like, that's safe. It's safe because it's expected. Um, and maybe, like, neutral, a little bit of joy, happiness, but not too much. <laughs> um, and like almost like a stoicism where there's a rigidity to it. And because of that... Um, 
I guess, yeah, even in the workplace, it's almost like you got to be a robot. You have to like always show up, always be ready to work. You can't be tired. You cannot take rest. Um, it's almost that mindset because that's what's expected in a toxic masculine, um, I guess, labeling. And that's where it becomes dangerous and not effective. And it's not going to be successful in a business environment. But also, a lot of times, uh, historically, a lot of corporate structures have been kind of built on that in a way, but it's maybe not that formulaic. Um, so that's kind of... And then when I, when I think of it in that respect, then I start feeling like, oh my gosh, like that just creates a one dimensional man. And that's not my experience really when I interact with men. Um, but I wonder if, if that affects them in a way that it impacts them negatively. And at the same time, if we want to move women forward and this is how men feel, then how can they be of support to women if there's shit that they have to deal with. And of course, everybody is dealing with their own shit, but it's just like, it, it, it makes it so that, um, it's not beneficial for anybody. And that's why I was like, I, well, I wonder how, like, cause I have met guys who are more rigid, you know, and then the, on the flip side, I've met plenty of men like you all who are very open-hearted and like, like, it's like, what, what's the difference? Like what's, what shifted or is, was there a shift, you know, or were, were you ever like that? You know, that was kind of, um, I guess my curiosities. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you're also calling out that the kind of corporate structure in particular is maybe built around some of those masculine driven or, or male driven tendencies or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. And even like, sometimes when I talk to recruiters, you know, it's very like, like, you know, why did you take time off during these years? And, and it's like, oh my God, like I wanted to explore the world. <laughs> like I'm not linear. Like I can't just like, work forever and ever. Like I need, I need to explore other aspects of myself. And sometimes it's like, I don't know if they would understand it. Like, cause it's, you know, corporate can be very like climbing the ladder and not everybody wants to climb the ladder like that. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I can definitely appreciate uh, that. That is present in, especially in American corporate culture and like American work culture tends to orient heavily towards that, uh, that sort of like work drive, ambition, things that you, that people may associate with kind of male characteristics too. Um, you know, there's very much, even in nature though, uh, you know, there are, are why is it that male bears, for example, fight uh, aggressively for dominance, but, you know, female bears don't, they fight to protect their young. And this is the case for many animals in many areas of nature. And I wonder to what extent, you know, 
that is a natural process and that the corporate structures, especially in America, are a byproduct of an, of that natural process versus how much is that something that we lean into uh, as a society and that it, we value as a society potentially I don't, yeah, I don't have the answers for that type of thing in particular, but um, I certainly don't believe that any of these systems, so to speak, should be oppressing or holding any particular back. And so I definitely can appreciate why the system towards the aggressive male archetype. I don't know that it needs to necessarily that I don't know that it's contradictory towards helping women, for example, grow in that space. It's just an environment that I think is sometimes very challenging. And so, you know, I think for me, at least I've spent a, a reasonable amount of time on the order of hundreds of hours mentoring women for example. And so uh, as part of a handful of boot camp programs, I wanted to, the way I wanted to give back and empower women was with knowledge, because I feel that knowledge is what will allow them to grow in the corporate hierarchy and this, you know, male dominated patriarchal world. So by mentoring women, I could empower them with knowledge. And to me, doing things like that are the way that we can, I don't know that we're going to fix the system. I don't know that we're going to anytime soon, we can chip away at it, but I don't think anytime soon we're going to completely invert the patriarchy. Uh, it's going to take some time for us to reach a new equilibrium. And we'll do that by promoting more women and more underrepresented people and who, especially those who are oppressed by the system. And we will do that by empowering people with knowledge. And we can do that in so many ways, making referrals, uh, you know, for women, uh, for particular roles making connections, you know, in a corporate space, giving women opportunities uh, you know, in, in their teams to, as James had pointed out earlier, lead projects. You know, those are the things that I think ultimately will maybe not invert the, you know, the system, but will help us equalize at a, at a, at a more equal place and equitable place. Yeah. And that's, I so appreciate that, Mike. And like, 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 every and any little thing helps, you know, like even having like a male mentor back a woman up, like, you know, and like speaking up um, and helping, like encouraging and all of that. I think that is so valuable um, and it might not seem it, but it really is um, on, on the receiving end as well. So I, yeah. So I love hearing that. Hey, James, welcome back. Hey, lost internet there for a moment but I've been back for a while and I've loaded up that context again. So thanks for bearing with all these technical difficulties that we keep seeing to be having. But yeah, I like on 
Mike, in your point, I think that's, that's the most like with the power that I have, right. Within the con like confines of my realm of influence. I agree that there's, there's some things that are like immediately accessible to most, most men in the workplace that can help lift uh, women up. And that would be get involved with the recruiting process. Like Mike said, um, like try to bias or not bias recruiting, but try to inform recruiting for a more diverse set of population, as opposed to just going for the most, the easiest ones, which would be, you know, folks like Mike and I, um, go outside of your normal circles, um, ensure there's no bias during, you know, hearing something like, I don't think so-and-so is a cultural fit should be challenged, I think, every time. Because meaning a cultural fit doesn't necessarily mean it fits into what your version of culture is, right? Like, that's not a good way to hire a diverse candidate. Um, and what I have been doing um, throughout my entire career is mentoring specific, specifically through pairing. Mike has taken, I believe, mostly a management track through his engineering software life. Um, and I've taken more of a technical leadership route, which means that the way for me to connect best with um, the way for me to connect best with uh, other candidates is or other engineers is just to pair with them, just to spend the day where we're teaching people back and forth. And this is this is the concept that's really common in um programming um is pairing um and it's literally sitting at the same computer with two keyboards hooked up one left one right you're staring at the same monitor and you're just popcorning back and forth right i'll program for a little bit on the stuff that i know how to do and i'll be like okay well do you want to do you want to program this bit or do you want to keep watching me do this and the, the dynamic is actually pretty fascinating to dive into but what happens is there's these little micro mentoring moments where at one point, I'll be working with Mike. Mike will be teaching me stuff about operations stuff that I'd never seen before. And then the next moment will be in the database. And I'll be teaching stuff about Mike that he's he's maybe less familiar with. And it ends up being both you've got two eyes on a problem, which means you get a better solution. And the entire time, Mike and I are teaching back and forth to each other. So that style of mentoring is one of the most powerful. And it's also very hands-on. So like you feel like you can actually have an impact on somebody's life very easily with that. Um, and as somebody who started my career pairing 100% of the time at a place called Pivotal Labs and learning so much from other folks, other engineers, predominantly male, that's a really good way for me to pass down like my, um, it's a good way to show your generosity, right? Like you are able to teach somebody. I, I was a junior engineer at one point. I've been working here for over a decade. Like now I've, I've risen up in the ranks and now I've, I've um, established myself as a senior leader on a team. Now I can help bring other people who are more um, green or who have less experience and teach them and bring them up. Um, I think that's the best part of my job is being able to do that, um, that and learning for myself. But that also comes with working with other people and pairing. So, and then finally, we talked about recruiting and mentoring, pairing. Um, I think inviting, like if you do have seniority within a team, inviting folks to the table that otherwise might not be there, right? So Michelle, I know does a good job at her job. Um, and so like, maybe I can, maybe I'm in the inner circle and now I can invite her in as a as reference to say that I've, I've enjoyed working with her and maybe I can lift her up. Um, 
by bringing her into sometimes all the inner circle, which sounds super lame, but I think, I think it, it communicates the concept well enough that um, these references can be very powerful too, so. Thank you both so much. I loved just like the, the richness of our conversations. Um, and yeah, I just really appreciate all of yours time. And um, before we end the interview, is there anything, any lasting thoughts y'all wanted to share? Um, no pressure. I just, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's not something that um, I talk about in a day-to-day. -day. I feel like everyone's always go, 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 but stopping. It's one thing to like listen to a TED talk and be like, mm, I understood what they said, but it's another thing to be like a part of the discourse and talk about it with other um, folks. So thank you all for, for the conversation. It's been great. Mm, thanks. Yeah. Thank you for creating the space, Michelle. I think that's mm -hmm. like, the value here is is making space for these kind of conversations to better learn about ourselves, about each other, and about you know human behaviors and everything in between. So I really appreciate you having me on a podcast and getting to talk about this. To help you feel more supported and nourished in your body and nervous system, you're invited to download the free I Am Supported meditation in the show notes. May you feel grounded in who you are as you become the fullest expression of yourself. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you in advance for sharing with those who can benefit. Until next time.